Amen. Let's take the Word of God and open to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter number 21. 2 Chronicles chapter number 21. For my embarrassment and your entertainment, I'm going to read a couple Bible names that I'm probably going to butcher and uh, hope you'll forgive me for that. I'm going to do my best and... uh, Normally what I do whenever I come to a Bible name that I can't read so well, I just say whatever my eyes see and uh, say it quickly and hope that it's close. And um, that's just a little pastoral wisdom for you. If you ever end up in an awkward situation where I randomly call on you, that's a good idea. I could just call on you to come and read this passage for me. And uh, yeah, now you're going to show me more grace because I'm not going to do that. I will take the responsibility myself. Let's look at a passage, an entire chapter in the Bible that we don't preach often, that we don't read often. It may not be entirely unfamiliar to you, but when it comes to the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, so much of that tends to run together, and we don't seek it out intentionally. So we're going to familiarize ourselves with a story here tonight, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you the title of the message right now. It is entitled, An Undesirable Outcome. So if you're taking notes tonight, you can go ahead and write that at the top of the page, an undesirable outcome. And if the the message completely falls apart and do a terrible job, you can say, yep, that was an undesirable outcome. And then just apply that to your own life and do better than I. All right, let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's word. Here we are looking at God breathed. God's breathed book, and we are reading that which was preserved to us for doctrine, in other words, so that we can understand the teachings of God, also for reproof, for correction, for instruction of, in righteousness. Why? That the man of God, the Bible says in 2 Timothy three seventeen, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So here we are, we are coming to God's inspired scripture, and we're going to read this story And then I would like to make some observations about the life of Joram, one of the kings of the southern kingdom in Judah. So here we are, 2 Chronicles chapter number 21, and away we go. Now, Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Joram, his son, reigned in his stead. And he had brethren, the sons of Jehoshaphat. Azariah, and Jehel, and Zechariah, and Azariah, and Michael, and Shephelatah, and all these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father gave them great gifts of silver, and of gold, and of precious things, with fenced cities in Judah. But the kingdom gave he to Joram, because he was the firstborn. Now, when Joram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren with the sword, and diverse also of the princes of Israel, 
Joram was 30 and two years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Just for our understanding of the text, be reminded that Israel is a divided kingdom at this time. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, who came after his father, a man by the name of Asa, were all kings of the southern kingdom, which are referred to as Judah. The capital city is Jerusalem. The northern kingdom in this point of history is referred to as Israel, and its capital is in Samaria. The king Ahab, you remember his wife Jezebel, did not live a godly life. And the northern kingdom was taken in captivity long before the southern kingdom because God brought great judgment upon them for their wickedness. And very few of them ever returned to the northern kingdom because their wickedness was so severe and because they had turned their backs on God. I think this perspective is important that we remember that these are two independent kingdoms, but yet with a common history. So when we read in this text, the kings of Israel, we're speaking of the northern kingdom, and when we read in this text the kingdom of Judah or the southern kingdom, that is the kingdom to which Joram has received his reign. And the Bible says again, picking back up at verse number six, and he walked in the ways, in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab, for he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Howbeit, the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David. And as he promised to give a light to him and to his sons forever. In his days, the Edomites, that is the days of Joram, in his days, the Edomites revolted under the dominion of Judah, southern kingdom, and made themselves a king. Then Joram went forth with his princes and all his chariots with him, and he arose up by night and smote the Edomites which compassed him in and the captains of the chariots. So the Edomites revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this day. The same time also did Libna revolt from under his hand because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication and compelled Judah thereto. And there came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but hast walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and hast made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a whoring like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and also hast slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people, and thy children, and thy wives, and all thy goods. And thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. Gross. Verse number 16. Moreover, in other words, it gets worse. Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Joram the spirit of the Philistines and of the Arabians that were near the Ethiopians. 
And they came up into Judah and break into it and carried away all the substance that was found in the king's house and his sons also and his wives so that there was never a son left him save Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. And after all this, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable disease. And it came to pass that in process of time, after the end of two years, his bowels fell out by reason of his sickness. So he died for sore diseases. And his people made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers. Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed without being desired. Howbeit they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchres of the kings. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, that you would empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit. I pray that perhaps you've already started doing a work in the hearts of those that are here. For we know, Lord, that your spirit is far more powerful than I. But I do pray, Lord, that you'd use me in this time to speak clearly about the things that you have placed on my heart for the evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You've all heard the statement, finish well. We say it in several different ways. Sometimes we'll say it this way. It's not how you begin. It's how you finish. We hear those stories of great athletes in the Olympics who stumble out of the starting blocks. They trip. They fall. They scuff their knees and, the elbow, and their elbows. And they scratch their face on the way down. And find themselves in the very back of the pack. But they claw their way, they fight their way back through the field, passing one runner and then the next, digging as deep as they can as their lungs are burning and their legs are trembling, but yet they squash the panic and the pain and they press toward to find themselves at the front of the pack. They come around the very last corner and it is them still bleeding, battered and bruised and that runner who started well, but yet their determination and their desire to finish at the front of the pack is unrelenting. And they push their bodies beyond the natural boundaries. And they lean forward there at the very last. And it wasn't how they started, for that was terrible. It was how they finished. And now they're standing atop the podium with their flag raising to the sky and their national anthem being played over the loudspeakers. Man, I want to be that runner. But nobody wants to be the other runner. The one who had his feet securely in the blocks takes off at the very start ahead of the pack and leads every single lap of the race. Seeing this, this terrible, disastrous runner stumble off the blocks, the lead runner has no concern for him whatsoever. One less runner to worry about, he thinks. And he beats his feet against the track as quick as he can. He lengthens his stride, his lungs inhale and exhale with the capacity and efficiency of a world-class athlete. And he knows that there's no one in front of him. Everyone is behind him. And it's his for the taking. Yeah, that's how you feel every day when you wake up, isn't it? The alarm goes off and boom, you're off to the race. But by the end, 
It wasn't the runner with the great start who had the gold medal. It was the runner who finished well. And so many of us, we look into the past of our life, and yes, I'm sure that there are plenty of things that you could find that have set you back, that have discouraged you, that have stumbled you, if you will. There are times where you step straight into the pitfalls of this world and, and found yourself in the muck and in the mire of this world. And there you've tried to claw yourself up. But I remind you that there is still a race to run. And it is not how you start. It is how you finish. But it's all of our desire to have the best outcome possible. And it is none of our desire to have the outcome of Joram, to have a terrible disease of the bowels, have it written on your tombstone that no one desired you and everyone just glad that you're gone. And this evening I would like to preach about having an undesirable outcome. There's many things that I could say from this text. And I know here we are Wednesday night. You could point to the most obvious thing. And I will definitely spend some time on this. That he turned his back on the Lord. And that is absolutely what led to his demise. But as he turned his back on the Lord. There are some other indicators that he was having some issues. That were leading to a constant downward spiral. And I would like to point those out to you tonight. And just by way of application that we might examine our own lives and ought to say, are these present in us? For we do not desire, I should say it differently, we do not want an undesirable outcome. The first thing that I notice in his life is this, is that Joram was a man who attacked out of insecurity. He attacked out of insecurity. There at the beginning of his reign, it seems like everything is in order and all is going well. He is following after two kings that, according to God's word, did quite well. They were not perfect men, for both in the life of Asa, he did a wonderful job of destroying some of the high places and, and reforming the religious worship in Israel, turning the nation uh, from paganism to worshiping the holy God. But yet in his latter years, he did make mistakes. The same with Jehoshaphat. Yes, he desired to follow in the path of Asa, his father, and he did much for the cause of God there in the southern kingdom of Judah. However, he made his own mistakes and he reaped the benefits or reaped the consequences of those mistakes as well. But nonetheless, despite the mistakes, Joram was handed a wonderful opportunity we read here in verse number three that their father gave them great gifts, that is, Joram and his brothers. This is a depiction of how well the kingdom is doing, how strong its establishment is, that their father, um, Jehoshaphat, gave them great gifts of silver and of gold and of precious things uh, with fenced cities. In other words, they had a strong defense there in Judah. Uh, but the kingdom gave he to Joram because he was the firstborn. 
You can see this position of prosperity. These other brothers that that were doing so well, that were given gifts by their father, that were given positions in the kingdom there in those fenced and gated cities there in Judah. We know that the brothers of Joram were doing quite well, even when we look to Elijah's condemnation of what Joram does well, as Elijah compliments the brothers of Joram. And what does Joram do in verse number four? The Bible says, now when Joram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, the first thing he did is that he strengthened himself. Oftentimes, whenever we're desiring a successful outcome, whenever we want to be praised, or whenever we want to find great achievement in our life, we strengthen ourselves. I am not against that in any way, shape, or form. Well, in some ways and shapes and forms, I am, and I'll point that out here in just a minute. But if I want to be strong physically, I I eat right and I exercise, and that's why I'm not strong physically. I don't eat right and I don't exercise. But Joram strengthened himself, not by improving upon his abilities and qualities, but he strengthened himself by diminishing everybody else. Here's what it says in verse number four. Now, when Joram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself. But how did he strengthen himself? It answers with the next phrase, and slew all his brethren with the sword and diverse also of the princes of Israel. In other words, he saw their strength as an attack on his strength. They saw, he saw them as a threat to his well-being. And I believe this, that if you would like to have an undesirable outcome, then you need to take on this same mentality of attacking out of insecurity. Uh, No doubt, Joram was equipped to lead the kingdom. Uh, His father saw that he was fit and gave him the kingdom. Uh, No doubt he had the riches and the capability. He had an infrastructure of princes there and brothers that were there to support his reign. But instead of recognizing the strength in others around him and delegating responsibility based on those strengths and leading in a powerful way, he does exactly the opposite. He sees the strength in people around him. It intimidates him. He becomes insecure. Therefore, he kills them all because now they all have a right to the throne. And so, Pastor Jared, isn't that what was commonly done there in those ancient times? And absolutely, it was commonly done in those ancient times. However, we see by the condemnation of Elijah there in verses number 12 and 13 and 14 that this was not an acceptable practice according to God. And just by way of application, I see so many in history, so many of these world dictators that had a very undesirable outcome. And what did they do? They attacked everyone around them out of their own insecurities. You say, well, Pastor Jared, what on earth is the spiritual application of this? The spiritual application is simply this. Is that God has put people in our lives that in some areas are stronger than us. 
In some areas, yes, maybe we can be intimidated by someone else's Bible knowledge or, oh, they seem to have it all, all together. And, and instead of drawing from the strength of others, we attack them out of our own insecurities. We separate ourselves from them uh, because of our own insecurities. And Joram does that to a T. He attacks them. He tears them down. He kills them. He removes them all together. And see, this is the beauty of the church of the living God is that he brings people from all over the country, from all over the place, from different walks of life, from different knowledge, from an different understandings of, of scripture, different levels of understanding. And why does he do that? He does that for the strength of the body. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, chapter number 12, that we are many members of one body. And not everyone is a hand and not everyone is a foot. And it can be real easy to be critical of others who seem to be, well, it seems like they've got it all together. And maybe they have a lot of, of their life together in places where your life is following apart. That doesn't give us the right to be critical, nor does it give us the right to try to tear them down. But instead, what we ought to do is humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and think that maybe the Lord has placed them there that they might be a help to us. Boy, if Joram would have just wrapped his mind around the fact that his brothers are there to be a help to him instead of killing them that he could never draw from their strength, I think that he would have had a much more desirable outcome. Do you realize that the Bible teaches that there is safety in a multitude of counsel? But you know what the heart of a proud man does? He refuses counsel. He pushes it far from him. He doesn't seek it he doesn't want it. He would rather fail than have to ask someone else for help. And you know that that, I think, is why the Bible says it's more blessed to give than receive. Because it's nice to be able to be in a position in your life where you can give. And it's hard to be in a position where you've got to be the one receiving because you're in need of help. But God help us if we are so proud and so arrogant that the help that God is giving us, we are trying to tear down and discredit instead of trying to go to them for help and realize that God has placed them there in a time of need. Well, I tell you, teenagers are the world's worst at this. And I'll just tell you, you know this, they're not in here. Maybe we'll record it and force them to watch it later because they think they got it all figured out. And God has given them a mother and a father. And I'm not saying they want to kill their mother and father, but they sure don't want their help. They think they've got it all under control and all is well. And you all know that feeling. You can see that face of rebellion that begins to spark. You can't tell them nothing. I read a, a book, and I've, I've mentioned this to you before, but it's, it's helped me. You know, there's, there's really 10, at least this book made the premise that there are 10 people that you cannot help. And one of them, one kind of person that you cannot help is a person who doesn't want your help. And I want to always assume that everyone I'm talking to has something they can help me with. 
Can I make an admission to you? I think there's people in this congregation, people, plural, in this congregation, in this room, on that side of the church, in the middle, and on this side, that probably know more Bible than I do. Yes. Does that mean I'm not supposed to be the pastor? No. (laughs) There's only one person in the room who's called to do that by God. But Lord, help me. Lord, help me if I make the same mistake as Joe Ram. You know, I know better than everybody else in here. I know this book better. I know what it says. I know what we're supposed to do. Y'all just get out of here. You know what that is? That is rejecting what God has provided. There is safety in a multitude of counsel. And maybe there are people in that multitude that God gives to counsel you that you need to get over your pride and over the problem of you not liking them so that they can help you. And yes, you might not be going out with a dagger to stab them, but your ears sure are closed to their help. That leads me right into the very next thing that led Joe Ram to an undesirable outcome. So if you want to be infectious in your bowels and die undesirable, here's the next thing you need to consider. Not only did he attack out of insecurity, but he abandoned anyone that tried to reason with him. He abandoned reason. The first type of reason that he sought to abandon was the reason of the past. The reason of the past. Look with me in verse number 12. The Bible says that that there came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet. Now you remember Elijah the prophet, right? Mount Carmel, praying prophets of Baal, douse the altar with water. Lord, show these people that your real, real fire comes down from above. Elijah the prophet. I'm going to come back to that. Elijah the prophet. And here's what it said. Thus saith the Lord God of David, thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, thy father, nor in the ways of Asa, king of Judah, but hast walked in the way of the kings of Israel. What I learned about Joram is that, that he abandoned reason from the past. Remember how I told you that both Asa and Jehoshaphat is his daddy and his granddaddy? Yeah, they weren't perfect men, but they walked in the ways of the Lord. And whenever they walked in the ways of the Lord, God blessed them. And God blessed the nation. And God strengthened them. And God prospered them. He gave them victory over their enemies. He gave them economic prowess. He gave them security. He gave them blessings. And that's several generations old. And then who does Elijah also refer to? He says, saying, thus saith the Lord God of David. David, thy father, he's saying, Joram, do you not remember both Jehoshaphat and Asa? And if you don't remember them, how about David? Do you not remember that David, when he was walking under the, the guidance of the Lord, that he was slaying giants, that he was defeating Philistines, that the nation was united, that God was blessing. And David, and, and David, don't forget Joram, both with David and Asa and Jehoshaphat, do you not remember? Remember what happened when they turned away from the Lord? Surely, Joram, you remember the story of David and Bathsheba. Surely you remember what happened, how he lost his son, how, how Absalom ended up rebelling against him because he was in sin and, and how so much, so much death came into the household. Joram, do you not remember what happened to David? 
When he followed the Lord, God took care of him and blessed him. And then when he turned his back, punishment came. Might I remind you about Asa? Asa begins tearing down groves and reforming the religion and bringing it back to the Lord. And the nation prospers, but there's a time where an enemy begins to encroach on Israel and Asa becomes afraid and he takes some of the riches that belong to God and he gives it to others to make an alliance to defend against those encroaching enemies instead of trusting the Lord. And I'll tell you what the Lord did. The Lord sent a disease to Asa. It wasn't in his bowels. It was in his stinking foot. No, really, his foot was stinking. Like it was bad. Just trying to keep your attention here. But what am I trying to say? Joram, look to the past. This is not complicated. You know, the same thing happened with Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was doing great so long as he was walking in the ways of the Lord. But the moment that he turned away and he did so in a very similar way that Asa did, enemies came. He got scared and started making alliances that he shouldn't have made. And he wasn't relying on the Lord. And judgment came on his dad. You see, if you want an undesirable outcome, attack others out of your own insecurity. And go ahead. If you want an undesirable outcome, abandon the reason from the past. You realize that, that God has put people in your life that have been around for a longer time than we have. He's given us the history of God's chosen people right here in the Bible. And it is there to learn from. Remember what I said concerning Scripture in quoting 2 Timothy 3.16. That all Scripture, including 2 Chronicles 21, it is there. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable to reprove us, to rebuke us, to instruct us, to correct us. But how does that happen? By looking into the lens of the past of what happened to God's people when they were walking in God's way and what happened to God's people when they rejected his way. And what is, what is Elijah trying to say? He's trying to say, hey, open your eyes and let the past reason with you. Does not the Lord God himself say, come, let us reason together. But we get so bullheaded, don't we? So I don't want to listen to anybody's instruction. I don't want to look to the past and, and see. You know, in the Bible, it's still there today. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he reap. He wouldn't listen to the reasoning of the past. He wouldn't even listen to the punishment of the present. Now, this is, this is good whether you like it or not. Verse number 14 Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods. And thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. You say, Pastor Jared, how on earth is that good? God is trying to get a hold of him. God is trying to gain his attention. God is trying to say, hey, Joram, listen up. And I believe that the mercies of the Lord are renewed every morning. 
I, I love the fact that in the Bible, so many times, the Bible says that his mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. I love that the Bible tells us that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Here we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we can go to, who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can go boldly before the throne of God's grace and receive help in time of need. This is a wonderful thing. In other words, I'd like to remind you of this, that even when we've messed up in the past, we can still come to God and find forgiveness and find mercy. But there is no point in time in Joram's life where you ever find him repenting and turning back to God. And here God is shaking the fibers of of his own body and bringing plagues and sickness and destruction. And Joram puts his fingers in his ears and says, I ain't listening. I'm going to do it my way anyway. And I'm not trying to be silly, but when you watch someone persist in their sin, it looks silly. And I can just see him making his way to the bathroom. <laughs> And he knows why. I really want to, I won't. But he never repents. You see, he abandons all reason. And I don't know what God might be doing in your life to try to get your attention. But I believe this with all my heart. That when you quit listening to God's word in the Bible, and when you quit listening to the preaching of God's word in your heart, that God will use other means necessary to upset our apple cart, to get our attention. You say, no, 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 it's, it's not God trying to get my attention. I just made a dumb decision. Yeah, well, so did Joram. And the consequence was disastrous. But God was still trying to get his heart. And maybe it is the circumstances of your life are the way they are because God is speaking, but you haven't been listening. If you want to find an undesirable outcome, then by all means, by all means, attack others out of your insecurity. Abandon reason. Abandon the reason of the past. Abandon the reason of God's punishment. And then here's this one. Abandon the reason of God's prophet. This is Elijah. Now, I want to make a, an admission here so that we don't get confused. I am not Elijah. Okay? I'm not Elijah. I am not even a prophet. You know, I kind of wish I was. I mean, maybe that'd be kind of cool. But I think the office of a prophet was restricted to the Old Testament and to that transitional period in the book of Acts and then that when that which is perfect is come, which is the perfect and complete word of God, the book of Corinthians tells us about that, then that which is in part will be done away and some of that is prophecy. So uh, those religions that push that there is this office of the prophet who receives unique revelation from God that is outside of the Bible, who can stand up 
and say, thus saith the Lord, without giving a chapter and a verse. Like, that's done with. I am not a prophet. Although I wish I was. (laughs) But Elijah was. But Elijah was, Elijah could open his mouth. Elijah could pick up a quill. And in verse number 12, he could open the letter by saying, without introducing himself, without saying any other word, he could start with a capital T if he was using English, which he wasn't. He could start with that capital T and say, Thus saith the Lord God. He could stand on top of Mount Carmel and pray to God and a pillar of fire could come down. He could send a servant to the top of Mount Carmel and say, look for rain because it's coming. Elijah could pray to God and say, dry up the clouds and there'd be a drought for three years. Elijah was a prophet of God. And now this king, Joram, gets a letter from Elijah And he wasn't willing to listen to the reasoning of the past. He wasn't willing to listen to the reasoning of his punishment. And he wasn't willing to listen to the reasoning of the prophet. And like I said, I'm not a prophet. But could I open the word of prophecy that's in front of me? And remind you that all of these words are here to guide us and lead us and and to show us how the Lord works and operates in our lives. And just as I said at the very beginning, the chief problem that led to everything else going wrong in Joram's life is the fact that he turned his back on God. And you may be here tonight having turned your back on God. Maybe it's been a long time since you You have surrendered and yielded yourself to the Word of God, to the Holy Spirit of God, and you have tried to attack others that God has sent to help you. You have abandoned their reasoning. You've stopped listening to their words, and it's not because you have a logical reason to do so. It's just because you don't want to anymore, and that's how Joram was. He didn't want to listen to Jehoshaphat. He's dead now. He didn't want to listen to Asa or David. That's a historical record. He didn't want to listen to God's man and Elijah. He wanted to listen to one person himself. And that led to nothing but an undesirable outcome. And if that's what you want, God's not going to stop you. But just remember that if that's what you want, that might be what you get. I said there's just one more concerning abandoned reason. Then I'll give you our last point. He abandoned the reason from the past. He abandoned the reason of punishment in his present. He abandoned the reason of the prophet. But he even abandoned the reason of his own people. I found this remarkable. Can I I just show you how amazing God's word is? Because this is so true in our lives. You know, most of the time we talk about the crowd, you know, the crowd being a bad influence. And, you know, it, it is many times. It, it absolutely is. But you see, his dad and his granddad had been investing in Israel and bringing them closer to the Lord. And even though there were many people who were still waffling and, and going back and forth as to whether they were committed to God or not, there are a group of people that decided no matter what, they're going to follow the Lord. And, and I 
I find this amazing here in, here in God's word. Look with me at verse number, uh, verse number 10. The Bible says, so the Edomites, now the Edomites, they were from Edom. They were not Israelites. They were not from Judah. They were not God's people. Uh, they were not um, part of God's economy there. And, and they would sometimes fight against the Edomites. And here the Edomites were sort of under the, the, the geographical jurisdiction of Joram. And they didn't like it. So they revolted. Well, that kind of makes sense. Like, here's a weak king. We're going to revolt, claim our own independence. And, and that's what they did. And they set up their own king. But look at what else I find in verse 10. So the Edomites revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this day. But notice this. The same time also did Libna revolt from under his hand. I know y'all are shocked. Like, oh, Libna did that? No way. Wives are elbowing husbands. Like, I can't believe it. Libna? No, you're thinking like I was. Well, who's Libna? Who is the wrong question? Where is the right question? Libna is not a person. Libna is a place. In fact, it's a whole city. It's a whole city that was known for the strength of its walls and its military um, power, if you would say. And, and what happened there at, at Libna is that they realized that, hey, you know, Joram... He's not going in the right direction. You see, Libna's motivation is listed next in verse number 10. He said, the same also did Libna revolt from under his hand because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. You see, Libna was a stronghold militarily, but it was also a stronghold spiritually. And those two things combined are powerful. You know those powerful men and women that you see in your life that may be powerful in the right word, but those strong men and women that you know in your life, they are strong spiritually, but they're like a fortress as well. Like their, their faith is impenetrable. And it seems like every time everyone else is freaking out and not knowing what to do, that, that older saint of God just stands firm on the word of God and is unshaken. And that was Libna. And Libna decided, you know what? If Joram is going that way, I'm not going with him. And here is Joram, abandoning the reason, the reasoning of his past, the reasoning of his punishment, the reasoning of his prophet, but even the reasoning of his own people. And here is just a little Jaredology. The Bible does not say this specifically, but I'm just, just drawing some lines, almost like a little connect the dot game, because at the end of verse number 10, it says that Libna fought against them because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. In other words, I think those at Libna were very strongly connected to his fathers. Jehoshaphat, Asa, David. In other words, I think the, the people of Libna's little Joram was growing up, they were probably around quite a bit. You know, I, I could always 
I could just imagine in my mind Jehoshaphat grabbing his, his boys. Joe ran the oldest, so he really knew what was going on. Some of the others a little younger. And they go down to Libna and, and Jehoshaphat, you know, gives a, gives a hug to the mayor of the city and, and greets some of the militia commanders there. And there's this camaraderie there because they're like-minded. They share the same heart. And see, those are the last people Joram wants to listen to. Is the people that were kind of there as he grew up, watching his daddy pour God into him. And see, those are the people we need to be listening to. Is not this Johnny Come Lately friend that just shows up with these great ideas of you know, how, how we should really experience and live life, but instead with those people who have seen the hand of God work before and seen you grow up in that, and now the Lord's using them to try to influence you. But you know what? Joram didn't want anything to do with that. Wouldn't listen to it. And now let me give you the last one, and then we'll be done. I won't spend but a, but a couple minutes on this. You want an undesirable outcome? I sure hope not. But if you do, step one, <laughs> attack those around you out of insecurity. Step two, abandon the reason of all of the help that God has given you, the reason and the warnings from your past, the punishment of your present, the words of the prophet, the wish of the people. And then number three, accompany evil. Become a companion with evil. Now, I, I almost didn't want to use the word evil there because whenever we think of the word evil, it's this, this scary, dark, blackened thing that comes in the shadows in the night to steal us away, you know? But that's not how evil shows up. In fact, in this passage, let me tell you, evil showed up. I'll just be frank with you. He showed up like a pretty girl. Hey, boyfriend. Say, Pastor Jared, that made me feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> well, how do you think it happened? I mean, I don't know how it happened. But here comes the daughter of Jezebel. If you don't know much about your Bible, you know the name Jezebel and you know it's not good. If you don't know much about your Bible, let me introduce you to the worst king in the Bible. His name is Ahab. That's this girl's daddy. And she did not fall far from the tree. And who does he choose to marry? Yeah, girl, I like the direction you're going. Let's go together. You know, the Bible gives us something that is so profound that we ought to dwell on every time we enter into a relationship. You know, the Bible says that that two cannot walk together except they be agreed. And I think when when Joram agreed with Ahab and Jezebel's daughter early in his life, that was a clear indication of where he was heading. And I'm not saying that, that the Lord can't, can't save a soul and turn a life around and, and all those things because absolutely he can. But this, this pretty little girl whom he accompanied went with him on every step of this evil journey which led to his undesirable outcome, which led to his demise. And I'm simply saying this, that 
we need to be so cautious and so careful with the influence that we allow others to have in our life because those others, they may have good qualities. They may even have great qualities. But if their influence primarily takes us away and helps us to, uh, to abandon the reason that God has given us and abandon instruction that God has placed in our life, then the Lord help us. I'm here to remind you that Satan was an angel of light before he was an angel of darkness. His name was Lucifer. Lucifer, he was the son of the morning. I mean, he was the one that was that was praised. He was convincing enough to lead a third of the angels and they had seen God. I mean, this guy, Satan, is convincing. You want to know who the Antichrist is? It's the guy who you least expect. You know who the most dangerous person is? It's the person who you have great admiration for, but they want nothing to do with the things of God. And here at the end of Joram's life, verse 20, 30 and two years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He was 40 years old, if I did math correctly. And some of the saddest words in the Bible, and departed without being desired. Howbeit they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchres of the kings. I have no idea what the Lord's doing in your life. I have no idea who needed this message tonight and who needs to just tuck away the notes in their Bible for another day. But God, help us to walk circumspectly, to be sober and be vigilant, and to pursue the Lord. God, help us to guard our hearts against everything which pulls us away from that.